Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking. Well, hello, Tom. How are you? Hi, Russ. I'm doing good. How are you doing? Fine. Sitting there in front of your empty desk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you yep. ought to move all those chairs together and use them at the same time. <laughs> you could sleep. You there could you go. put them out as a big yeah. thing and sleep. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yvonne's wrinkling her nose. He doesn't like that idea. Yeah. I, uh, I have reached the stage in life where I want to be on a good mattress in a comfortable bed at night. No more sleeping on anything that blows up or that is not designed for sleeping. Hmm. Yep. When, when I was in the Air Force, I used to roll chairs together to sleep all the time because, yes. you know, that's the way it was. You can do that when your bones are still hardening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something like that. So Yvonne is with us today. Hey, hey. In her she shed. I am here. Which is all good. Your uh, thinking chair has no blankets on it today, so I'm worried about you, Yvonne. Uh, they're they're in a basket next to oh. me. You just can't see them. They're okay. here. I promise. There was an entire Babylon Bee where the only thing it said was it had a picture of a woman in a blanket and it said, wife is cold. That would be the story of my life, <laughs> except when I'm not. I'm one or the other. I'm nowhere in between. I mean, there wasn't even an article. It yep. just said wife is cold. <laughs> that is not news. <laughs> no. But, you know, sometimes there it is. Okay, so today is a round table. Even though we don't have a round table, we have a virtual triangular table or something of that sort. I'm not really sure what shape it actually is. I don't know, Yvonne. What do you think? What shape is the table? I don't know. I think it's a good idea to call it a round table. If it's going to be virtual, let's make it round. Yeah. Okay. Make it whatever you want. Make it whatever you want. Okay, well, we can make it octagonal. We, we, we could. <laughs> so, all right. So, Wall Street Journal, the U.S. has a 42.5 billion high-speed internet plan. There's been a lot of stuff written about the bead grants. This is talking about the bead grants, I assume. And the problem is they're running into a worker shortage, which is not at all surprising to me. Unfortunately, like every other skilled trade right now in the universe, right? No, um, this uh, Wall Street Journal article talks about government funding for wired fiber Internet, which is awesome. I've argued for a long time that it would be, uh, you know, as much of a economic boon to have high speed Internet to every house as the interstate highway system or what we did with POTS phone lines uh, years and years ago. And so I think um, it's a worthy endeavor. The challenge is you got to have folks to to lay the fiber and terminate it and and do all that, uh, put all that effort and do the actual physical work. So there's an article in the Wall Street Journal about the shortage of fiber technicians. So they, uh, let me find it here. If you're looking for a job, being a fiber tech is not a bad thing right now because they are in desperate shape. I mean, it's bad. 
says the Fiber Broadband Association estimates that more than 205,000 additional workers will be needed to work through 2026. And other estimates are as high as 850,000 workers. So that's that's a pretty significant workforce that that will be required here. But uh, and so I think this is this is a, an interesting dynamic that we see in a lot of, like I said, skill trades where we just don't have folks to do the work. Um, mm-hmm. And I've always been kind of a layer two and up kind of a person. So um, I don't I don't even have a good handle on what the career path is to 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 become a fiber technician. Do, do either of you guys have a read on, on what that looks like? How are we even training people to do this work these days? It's mostly technical, technical school, although, you know, you mentioned that. And I just picked up a project today with Pearson working with AWS to build a high school level course to encourage them to do the skilled trades for networking. Not layer two and up, just skilled trades for networking, electrical, fiber, things like that. And by the way, the shortage is so bad that I saw another article this week that talked about how Corning is saying that their sales are actually going down, even though there's huge demand for new fiber, just because there's nobody to install it. So their sales are actually stalling because there's no one to install this stuff. Well, the, the article seems to indicate that, that a lot of these telecommunication companies are moving a lot of their uh, fiber splicing work in-house. So instead of relying on uh, third parties or outside vendors, they're, they're hiring people on staff to do the work because it's been such a significant slowdown. I think that's, that, that, that's a pretty big deal that they see it as a, um, a, a necessary requirement to, to have, have the folks to do that work on, on staff. It's a several-year endeavor. Um, and there's a significant demand. So I thought that was yeah. interesting. Yeah, I think well, I think that's a I think that's a sign to anybody who's considering that path. Like the fact that people are moving it in-house should be a giant green flag for you. Uh, because it is costly to hire people. And if a, if a if a company is to the point where they're ready to take on the HR burden of hiring people, that this is so important to their business, then that's the kind of work you want to be doing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and Oh, darn it. What was I going to say now? Yeah, the I think that the thing now totally lost my train of thought. That's okay. Well, it'll come back. Yeah, it'll come back. It's cool. Well, and and it's a great opportunity, too, for folks that have an aptitude at the at at the, you know, to, to dive into the layer one stuff to do a lot of the the work here and then to gain experience in the industry and and to grow. As these networks grow, because of course, the more the more fiber that they lay in the ground, the the more support they're going to need, the more infrastructure there's going to be to maintain long term. And so it's it's a real opportunity for folks who who want to grow and learn, um, who are self starters and and willing to to move with the business. To I actually to really know dive in. a guy who works for a big organization, a big company. He started out doing sweeping in an in, in a in a theme park and working little things and they put him to work doing punch downs for telephone punch downs and over time he moved from punch downs to networks and he's now like a senior architect dude like sure. these these jobs are not dead end in that sense like there's always room for growth for people who take on 
the learning and do the other bits and pieces um, for this stuff. Yeah. Well, and I think more than in probably in the last decade, this is an opportunity for folks to get an entry level position or, you know, an early career position where they can gain some experience and really, really grow with an organization and then and then branch out. I think it's been a while since we've seen this this kind of opportunity. And, And I think it's great overall. Great for uh, I mean, we we need connectivity. I think it's going to continue to hinder us just because everything is connected at this point. It, it becomes a severe economic disadvantage if you can't get high-speed connectivity. And it's it's an opportunity for new and interesting work. So what kind of worries me about connectivity right now is that I saw uh, uh, an article this week about uh, somebody from AT&T who was talking about how they only go after houses that cost $1,000 or less for them to connect. And there is not, I mean, there is not going to be a lot of growth in that market, honestly. Because the more houses you connect, every house you connect, the next house is going to be more expensive most of the time. I mean, once you've connected a neighborhood, running into a neighborhood, you know, every house is pretty much the same cost. But once you've, you've connected all the high-density neighborhoods, the next thing is going to be lower-density neighborhoods. And then even lower. So they always get more expensive. So I worry a little bit about the the perspective that these providers have, particularly the big ones, about like reining their cost in and, and you know, if it's going to be a competitive advantage, then we need to find other people to go connect these houses because you can't just say you only get connected if you're on a quarter of an acre or less. You, you've got to like connect everybody. <laughs> right. Well, and the way the way that we solved that problem historically was with mandates, right? Like we we're, we're going to subsidize your your business, but we are also going to stipulate that you provide you know dial tone to every home in the country. And I think I think that's there, there's a there's a good argument to be made for that as overall economic develop, development. And there's a there's a uh, a story in in the article about uh, yeah in uh, in eastern Kentucky, Elkhorn City, Kentucky that the town has been losing residents because they, they don't have fast internet and they see it as a significant economic development tool that they uh, they were a coal mining town and people are leaving because they can't get good connectivity. So I, I, it's super important, I think. And, uh, you know, folks who have the opportunity to work from home and, and get, you know, higher pay, it's, it's an incredible advantage to be able to have that level of connectivity. So... Um, I think it's a good time if if folks are interested in um, layer one, if our termination to to get trained and look for yeah. opportunities. Yeah, definitely so. So the second article article Tom gave us, which is um, Broadcom takes on InfiniBand. I was kind of surprised by this because I thought InfiniBand was dead. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not. I so I. This caught my eye because I worked on InfiniBand back around 2006 or so for four or five years. And, you know, InfiniBand's always been there. It's just that people don't see it. It's pretty, it's fairly niche. It's definitely not dead. Um, the people that are doing very large scale things, the people that are doing things that need a lot of performance, networking performance, uh, it's kind of the obvious choice for certain types of workloads. Um, the thing that I think is pretty interesting about this article is ch- it's talking about a new chip uh, that Broadcom's making and um, some of the testing that they've done with it. And it's always been, at least as far as I've ever followed, I kind of the last 
10 years or so, I haven't really um, followed it really closely, but it seems like it's been that usually InfiniBand wins, but by small enough margins that everybody says, well, whatever we don't, that's ethernet's going to take everything over eventually. Anyway, ethernet always wins. So those little small margins, it doesn't matter. Um, but we're, I think we're getting into the types of workloads where small margins actually translate to, to really big differences in application performance. And so, so the thing that's interesting here is that according to the tests that were done here, I didn't look at it too deeply, but apparently now this, this ethernet chip by Broadcom is winning by small margins, not large margins, but small margins. And that's pretty interesting. That's because of the ethernet ecosystem and its ubiquity and all that stuff. And the, the fact that it could win at all when a port to port latency on InfiniBand switches is still three or four times better than Ethernet. Um, I think that's really interesting, and it speaks to some themes that I think are are really important to watch. That building an interconnected system is is more important than a single fast box is one theme that I get from that, and and understanding how to build systems is more important than just like buying a box that that does a lot of things for you. I think that's a career, an important career thing. But, but yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was pretty interesting. The um, and it's a pretty good data in the article too that, to to back up some of the claims. Yeah, I'll so link to this. So, so interesting thing about this to me is I thought as well. I heard I heard something a while back, maybe a year ago, about how they were trying to extend the range of PCIe. So you mm, could yep. just so you could just build an entire rack out of PCIe directly. And just, you know, like these composable systems where you just have like a PCIe backbone and you stick whatever, and it's a whole rack. And then, you know, the, the router itself or the top of rack switch is connected via PCIe, so there's no Ethernet at all in the whole thing. And then you've got Ethernet going out to go upstream. I don't know what happened to that, but that, that's another one of these things where people are trying to compete with Ethernet to some degree. So I don't know. Well, it's it's always interesting because you know we've got compute networking and storage, right? And 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 one of those three is always a bottleneck. And we make we 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 make we make strides in one, and then we need to make strides in another because the bottleneck moves within the system. I think what we're seeing is this incredible change in demand for high high performance compute because of all the you know the, the AI workloads that are going on that require you know, real-time responses, basically. And those are incredibly computationally intense. And so the the requirement for higher higher network speeds is is really intense right now. And so I think we're going to see some interesting shifts over the next few years as we see more applications of of AI and ML because we're we're just scratching the surface and still in many ways it just continues to be a novelty right we, we've not really unpacked all of the capability of those tools now we can debate whether or not we think that's a net net win or a net loss um but but it's it's here and so i think you know we, we're going to see some significant shifts in the market over the next few years um and new demands that we haven't had for a while because for, for the longest time it hasn't really been for most workloads um, the network, as much as say storage, it's been a challenge. So it, it's it's going to be interesting. Well, I think it's interesting in the article they go through all this stuff about jitter and stacking, like you know, multiple boxes with multiple queues in the path, and you know the difference between between InfiniBand and Ethernet in that sense. 
how those operate differently. Yeah. I, the, so it's really interesting. The applications tend to be a lot more tightly coupled um, to the network in InfiniBand clusters, um, and that's one of the reasons I think that we that the workloads that need that stuffs consistently run on InfiniBand. But 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 Ethernet's caught up. There's we have Rocky now. We have uh, protocols to to do that tight coupling to to the network uh, on the Ethernet side. One thing I thought that was pretty cool was uh, in this particular experiment that they ran. I didn't know that they do this. They're actually plugging the they're plugging the links directly into the GPUs, uh, just like a smart NIC. Like the, there's no more going through a server mainboard to get uh, out to the network, and so they just plug straight into the GPU and and the and the you know the the server mainboard is just uh, just babysitting and providing power basically at that point. And I thought that was. That was pretty interesting. Not, you know, it's it's in line with other developments that are that are going on right now. But uh, and, and and the other thing I think that's probably fairly obvious: you can't train large language models on one big node. There is no node big enough to do this work. So you have to horizontally scale it. And if you're going to horizontally scale something, you have to build a fabric that can handle that. I, I was also entertained by <laughs> some of the marketing stuff from Broadcom. Uh, if you noticed it. Perfect load balancing is one of their features. They actually call it perfect load balancing. <laughs> and then congestion-free operation is another feature yeah. name. Uh-huh. Yeah, good. <laughs> Which is, uh, that's, that's just great. I don't know if someone's just trying to troll everybody, but I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. So when you say this plug directly into the GPU, so I assume the GPU just has like a PCI interface or it has a bus interface that it connects to. So they must be plugging the InfiniBand directly into that bus interface. So basically. I'm a little confused because to me, when I think about a network card, well, I guess I guess the difference is is that normally the network card um, is connected is the driver is in the kernel or something instead of being directly on the GPU. So, so many years ago, I, one of the hard drive manufacturers, I don't remember who it was, came out with an Ethernet connected hard drive, and like there was no PCIe interface, you just plug it into Ethernet. And like, there's no computer attached. It's just network attached storage in the purest sense. Nice. And so this sounds a lot like that sort of a solution. So that is that is fairly interesting because that takes a lot of stuff out of the path of what's going on. Yeah. So, so it's it's niche stuff, but I think it's fun to talk about once in a while. And I think the principles here are just the same as they are in building an Ethernet network. I mean, you still have to think about all the same stuff. And uh Anyway, so well, I mean, we'll see how niche it is. Honestly, I mean, yeah. we'll see how niche it is in the long run, right? Because if we continue seeing repatriation of data out of cloud, and we start seeing a rebalance between cloud and on-prem, and private cloud and public cloud, more of a balance there, then you might see some of these types of things have to move into what would normally be, normally be classed an enterprise data center for some applications, right? Like high-speed trading is one that immediately comes to mind where you don't necessarily want to push your workload to the cloud for various reasons. And yet you do want this ability to build like these large language model type things to do analysis over stock market trends and news and news feeds and blah, 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 blah. And so, yeah, I mean, this is something I'm sure my high-speed my high speed trading friends are looking at this and salivating because they're thinking, oh, I can build this in my own data center if somebody like Google or Meta or somebody else does the initial work to get it to go and it becomes commercialized through somebody like Broadcom 
well, then, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that you could do with that. So I don't know. I'm not sure how well, much it is. Well, it's entirely possible, too, that we see the technology adopted broadly by a very, very small a uh, handful of organizations, right? They have a very specific use case that requires yeah. um, this, this this level of speed and access, and and it's still a large market in in a niche way, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. We we still see a lot of that. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. So yeah, all right. What is going on with this anyway? Okay. So the third one that that I had brought up was breaking out of the 3G rut. And I think that this goes with Doug Dawson is one of my favorite commentators on the industry right now, who writes every day, by the way, it's a crazy amount of text. Um, people think I write a lot of text. Well, I don't know. Anyway, of course, I write other stuff than blog post every day, but that's okay. This whole thing of the next hype. And this article is interesting to me because it was about um, the, the, it was about a conference, and the conference was called 6G Beyond the Hype. And I thought... <laughs> 6G, yeah. Beyond the hype. I mean, like, there's some irony in the naming of this thing, okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, um, it's interesting because I do think we in the networking world get into this mode where we think, there is a cadence or a pace of speed of new development that we should keep up with. And that somehow, if, you know, like we almost need 5G because, hey, 4G is old. Kind of a thing. Like we get this mental thing going with, you know, well, 5G, we need 5G because 4G is old. We need 6G planned now because 5G will eventually be old. And the question we almost never ask is, Really, is there a use case? Like they're struggling to sell 5G today and they're coming up with all sorts of use cases and trying to get people to do. I've seen all these articles on don't build a Wi-Fi network in your building, build a 5G network. And it's the same cost and it's better and all this other stuff. And I don't know that it is, but hey, you know, people are pushing this, which clearly indicates to me that, okay, you've kind of lost the thread with 5G here, guys. Right. I mean. If you're trying to get people to replace Wi-Fi 6 with, with 5G, then you've kind of lost the thread about what this stuff is. And so I, I did think that this was an interesting article in just the sense of these things need to have a purpose. These things need to have a reason. Like, we don't just need to be pushing stuff just because we feel like pushing it, it seems to me. Well, we live in a world of intentional obsolescence, yes. right? I mean, yes. anymore, you don't even buy an appliance that you expect to have more than four or five years. You know, the refrigerator I grew up with, we had for like 25 or 30. Yeah. Um, so the, the some of, I think, I think that impacts our thinking more than we want to realize. And, and also one of the things that, that we kind of ignore conveniently when we get into these heady uh, conversations about what's new and what's coming down the pike and what ought to be implemented is we forget the operational requirements to implement these things, like the cost and the training and the the ubiquity that's required to make a technology like 4G or 5G or 6G really meaningful and useful is is significant. 
And there's there's a huge amount of expense and investment that goes into that. And and it's not the kind of thing that's going to be uh, replaceable on a five year, even a 10 year schedule. It's just too expensive. And I think that that's something that we often overlook when we get into our academic, which is better conversations. I mean, it's it's why BGP is still what it is. Right. Yeah, sadly so. Yeah. I mean, I remember talking to somebody five years back and they were like, I don't know why I built a data center anymore for any more than five years of usage. I can just gut the whole thing. I can just own three or four buildings and I can be building one in one in one space while I'm using another one and then decommissioning a third or using one and then building a new one or whatever. Like I can have a life cycle that's just replacing the entire data center. And I really think that underestimates the amount of work and the amount of design and planning that goes into these things. I mean, we do need to pay attention to the life cycle. I can't say that enough because I feel like we don't do that in the networking world. We like throw a box out there and, oh, look, it'll be there permanently. And, you know, those old AGS pluses when I was in tech and AT&T routers that people fussed about that have been in production for 20 years. That's what you get when you don't plan life cycle. Okay, that's, that's a bad thing. But it's one same. of the things. Oh, no, go ahead. Sorry, Russ. Uh, one of the things that I, I really, the ideas that I really liked from the article was the instead of doing six G, maybe we just need to do five G properly in the next in the next generation. Yeah, which yeah made me chuckle. But then it also does it does it does point, and we had sort of had the same thing with three G and four G. Lots of hype in three G and four G. It actually worked really well. So and and that's kind of all, for all of these technologies. There seems like there's a TikTok to the cycle. Yeah. And then when you get to the talk, you make it all work operationally. So you get the hype and the funding to start building all the stuff. And then on the next cycle, you make it all work correctly. And you could argue whether or not that's the best engineering approach or the best business approach. But if that's how it is, then then maybe we don't fight that. Uh, maybe we don't fight that rhythm. And we just say, okay, 5G was hyped. It got the money into the things. It got the networks at least partially built. So now let's let's make it work correctly. And that's yeah. more iterative anyway. I think that's a more realistic way to look yeah, at it. Could be. And I think part of the problem with 5G is, honestly, we do have a, a coming showdown between Wi-Fi and 5G and 6G and blah, blah, blah. And that, like I saw another article this week about uh, some provider came out and said, we have X number of Wi-Fi hotspots in some city, and yet none of them are publicly accessible. We ought to get rid of all this and make people just make their public their Wi-Fi in their house publicly accessible. Then we just have a blanket of Wi-Fi. You go any place in the city and you wouldn't necessarily need every home to be wired and all this other stuff that we're talking about. And I was thinking... But that business model, you know, that's a completely different business model than you purchasing a link from a provider, from an access provider that gets you access to the Internet. That is a that's a telco business model. Where when at what point does the does the provider start paying you for access to your facility? Yeah. Right. I mean, like at, at some point, <laughs> you know, it's it's because even now, you know, the, the the there's a big business in leasing space on poles, right? For for fiber or cable or power or, or you know what whatever, you know, it's if 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 the if if the provider is using your facility to broadcast their service that other people can use, 
it seems like that switches the value model almost on its head. And so that that becomes an interesting conversation, too. I, I think we overlook like what's technically feasible and then what makes sense yeah. from a financial yeah. perspective. Well, this was one of the complaints people had about 5G is a lot of cities and towns and counties and states or whatever in the U.S. anyway, pass these laws that the provider could stick a 5G antenna on the side of your house. And they didn't have to pay you anything for it. They could just go up there and screw the antenna in and like, because your neighbor got 5G access and they don't have wired access to it. So they're just going to stick a a repeater antenna on your house and draw off your power and stick a repeater up there and it's just done. Or they can stick this big box in the middle of your front yard and you can't do anything about it. Right. And you see lots of people with these kind of complaints about, wait a minute. You just you just lost you just caused me to lose twenty thirty thousand dollars on value on my house. What what do I get out of this? Do I get free connectivity? Do I get paid that twenty thousand dollars? Like what what what's going on here? And so I think this is going to further this this whole thing with five G versus Wi Fi is going to further that conversation. There's a there's a there's some sort of a showdown coming here at some point that we're going to have a bridge we're going to have to cross. I don't know what that's going to look like, but anyway, that's that's kind of a another realm of what's going on in the world. So I don't know. I don't know if we're going to talk about this new DDoS amplification attack, or if we just want to wrap it up right here and. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do let's it. Let's stop. Okay. Let's quit while we're ahead. Let's quit while we're ahead. <laughs> There's a joke in there someplace, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a little disappointed that I my little troll of you didn't work. Oh, oh, was there was there something up there? Oh my goodness! Yeah, but that's the <laughs> second book. You got to get the first book if you're gonna troll me. Oh, oh, okay. So now Russ <laughs> so makes Russ the rules is for trolling. trolling. Your nice. troll. I'm trolling your troll. His CCIE design book. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's okay. Now I'm doing all high school level stuff, which is actually kind of cool. I'm fine with that because I think that we need more, you know, going back to the first article, we need more people coming into this career field. And somehow we became convinced that because of cloud or whatever, we weren't going to need network engineers, like network engineers were going away. And I remember people saying it for years upon years that, oh, yeah, network engineers are going away and that's okay. That's okay. Well, we've had a good run. We'll make money for the next 10 or 15 years and then they'll be gone. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> nope. Nope, nope. I, 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 we still have COBOL programmers, and we will until they fall over. Um, <laughs> we, we, we underestimate the, the long tail on, on some of these technologies. Yeah. And I think we also get a little resistant to change, and we forget how yeah. how much those principles still transfer, even if the work looks a little different year, year by year. Yeah. There was this guy, Dennis Wynn, that I worked with in Cisco, and he was the top, one of the top SN, IBM SNA experts inside Cisco at the time. And then, you know, SNA kind of fell off the map. So he moved from being a tech engineer to being a global escalation engineer because they just took all the SNA cases in the entire company to him. Then the <laughs> coders quit, so he learned how to code so that he could code the SNA code as well. He just kept moving up the stack. So he became like the all-in-one person for everything to do with IBM SNA inside Cisco for like five or six years. And it's like, that's just brilliant, man. That's awesome. 
<laughs> you, you know, seriously, what makes me think that makes me think of though, going back to the fiber, the fiber installation technicians, the demand for the, for all that. I, for a long time, I think our our view of how you get into networking was go work at the help desk yeah. and then you know event and work your way up. But what if what if that's a better on ramp? What if learning how to splice fiber and how to build things at layer one is how you get started? And there's good enough money in it that you could stay there your whole career. But yeah. but I I well, I've worked with a few people who came up from that, that that leg of the world who spliced fiber and who knew, and it was a lot easier to work with them once they started working on layer two and layer three. Like they just they had a more holistic understanding of the world. And I don't know, it just occurred to me that could be a pretty awesome honor instead of trying to get people into these support jobs, like get them working with their hands and then give them like a year or two and then they'll be they'll be running knocks and stuff. Yeah. 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 I think it's a great it's a great place. Yeah. I mean, I've seen people come in from the bottom of the stack, which is that layer one right up. You know, they have that EE degree. There's oscilloscope is their best friend kind of folks. And then you have people who come in from the top of the stack from the software side. And I think there's value, especially you get those two folks who meet in the middle and understand the whole stack top to bottom and, uh, and they can do some interesting things together. So, yeah, but there's a, there's a ton of value in that layer one stuff. Yeah, there is. By the way, Tom, I came up from layer one. I did electronics before oh, yeah. I did networking, right? So that that's is, right. That's Russ's right. Russ's oscilloscope was his best friend. That's, it, what I, that's what I'm hearing. And yes, and TDRs and things like that. Yes. We, we had so a, what you're saying is that I gave you a compliment and I didn't even know that's it. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did know it that you came from that place. So. <laughs> you just forgot it. <laughs> All right. Well, that's cool. Anything else, Tom, you want to talk about before we wrap up? No. I'm good. No, you good? Anything, Yvonne? Anything new no, in your life you want to get out there for people to still build a house? Okay. Still waiting on uh still waiting on skilled labor. So oh, yeah, uh I'm, it's near and dear to my heart right now. <laughs> skilled yeah. labor. Oh yeah, of course, of course. I'm waiting on tile. I'm gonna have to I have a lot of tiling to do around here. We, we haven't ordered the tile yet. So waiting We're on the We're not getting, there yet. Getting the tile in. Yeah. yeah, and then I got a lot of tiling to do. So anyway, all right, well, let's see, Tom, where can people follow you or get in touch with you if they want to? Twitter and LinkedIn. Okay. Just search for Tom Ammon. Okay. And Yvonne? Yeah, same here. You can find me on Twitter um, at Sharp Network or on LinkedIn. Just look for Yvonne Sharp. Awesome. That's me. And I'm Russ White. You can always find me here at The Hedge. You can actually find Yvonne and Tom here at The Hedge as well. So Absolutely. That's, that's, that's good. And then you can find me at rule11.tech and on LinkedIn. And I don't know. I never log into Twitter, but, you know, whatever. Um, so good for you. Y'all have, <laughs> or thanks very much for listening. We know your attention is important. We live in a crazy world with lots of things trying to grab your attention. So we're glad you joined us for this episode of The Hedge. Uh, thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time. Subscribe to The Hedge on your favorite podcast service or follow along at rule11.tech.